If you're trying to make an impact on the future of agriculture, at some point, you're going to have to get the word out there about what you're doing. Now, there are more tools to do that than ever, but there's also a lot more noise to try to cut through. There's lots of duplicative content out there. There's lots of content that is, you know, 90% the same as something that already exists. But the 10% that is your opinion, your spin, your take is valuable. New media and content marketing experts Sarah Mock and Travis Martin join me to talk about the importance of developing and sharing digital content for yourself or your company and how to approach it in a way that resonates. What's, you know, an original insight that is valuable to your customers that isn't overly salesy, right, but is kind of core to the mission of your organization and why you even started? And yes, there's way too much content out there, but so much of it is valueless. Breaking through with meaningful stories and information is not easy, but it is possible. You should be spending some money on content. It should be good and original. It should be high quality or it's a waste of money. And if you're going to invest in great content, then you should invest in making sure it gets to your audience. The content marketing episode you didn't know you needed. Sarah Mock and Travis Martin join me on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Hello, Ag Nerd. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to hear from the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors, or in this case, communicators, that are shaping the future of the ag industry. Uh, before we dive into today's episode, though, I want to take just a moment to recognize our quarterly presenting sponsor for this quarter, which is Acres. Name a place, a single source where you can find land for sale, comparable sales, and easy to use maps. Can't do it? Well, that's where Acres comes in. This land analysis and mapping platform brings together the data you need to make confident decisions about buying, selling, or investing in a piece of land. That includes manually vetted comparable sales, soil data, crop history, elevation, flood insights, and more. There's no paywall. You can create an account for free today at acres.co and access 10 plus layers of data along with land listings, tools for saving and customizing maps, and PDF report generation. If you're in the land business and need more than just the basics, check out their premium and enterprise plans for features that support efficient due diligence, portfolio management, and fast valuations. It's all part of Acres' mission to make the land marketplace transparent and easy to access for anyone. Check out a parcel anywhere in the U.S. for free at acres.co. That's acres.co. And thank you so much to Acres for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. Okay, now back to today's episode with Sarah Mock and Travis Martin. Uh, one important change to agriculture that we probably don't talk about near enough on this show is the changing ag media landscape. Uh, farmers and those of us who work in agriculture traditionally, you know, would read these industry publications and listen to these famous farm broadcasters on the radio and get all of our ag information there. Uh, these programs were often funded by agribusinesses who knew that they had a fairly captive audience to advertise to. Well, 
as you know, all of that has been turned on its head the past 20 or so years. And now companies have a much more direct way to be in contact with their target audience, whether that's a potential customer or maybe it's a trade association trying to talk to their membership or a potential investor for an ag tech startup or some sort of collaborator. I mean, there's any number of important people that you might want to be in contact with to advance whatever it is you're trying to do in the ag industry. And that's awesome to have that direct access, right? Well, it also does mean that there are no more quote unquote captive audiences anymore. You have to earn that attention. And that's really not easy. And it's becoming tougher and tougher with all of the noise out there battling for our individual attention. So after years of interacting with many of you listening to the show, I know that really for the most part, you've got an honest intention to somehow improve the future of agriculture with your entrepreneurial ideas or with your job or with your farm or whatever the case may be. You want to see where agriculture is headed and be a part of that. And that's cool. That's why you listen to this show. Well, in order to do that, at some point, it's going to be essential that you get the word out about what you're doing, about your view on this industry and where it fits into your worldview. And really, that's what today's episode is all about. So I really encourage you, even if you might be thinking, look, I'm not a marketer, I'm not a content creator, uh, I really just care about agriculture, I still think there's some valuable nuggets in here, and I encourage you to listen all the way to the end. So joining me, uh, Sarah Mock. She also joined me back in episode 210 to talk about the future of ag media, a very popular episode. If you haven't listened to, you might want to check that out after this one. Uh, she jokes that she is slowly working her way through every job in ag, having worked for USDA, RFD TV, Farmers Business Network, and others. Uh, today, she's an independent contractor who does research, content, journalism, and a number of other interesting projects in agriculture, like the AEI Presents podcast and the Ag Tech So What podcast, which we just did a collaboration with last month. Uh, she's also the author of two books that I personally recommend, Farm and Other F-Words and Big Team Farms. Travis Martin started his career in agribusiness and ended up finding his love for marketing while working at Elenco. Uh, since leaving the company in 2018, he's worked for a variety of ag tech companies in both full-time and contractor roles, including a couple of companies that you've heard here on this podcast, like Leaf Agriculture and Advanced Agrolytics. In 2020, he started a newsletter called Magnetic Ag that really is a lot different from just about any other content you'll see in the industry in a good way. Uh, still going strong, over 12,000 people read Magnetic Ag twice a week, and that led Travis to starting his own content and consulting business for agricultural clients called Imagine Content and Consulting. So really lucky to have both Travis and Sarah here on the show today. And I think this topic and their advice is important for every single one of us, as I said, whether you consider yourself a creator or not. One quick clarification, though, I should mention to you before we dive in, uh, we recorded this in December of 2022. So when you hear us say things like this year, we really mean 2022, not 2023, although everything we talk about is certainly relevant to today. Okay, so I'll drop you into the conversation here where Sarah Mock is talking about the current state of content and attention and how she's approaching this with her clients to help them stand out. I think in a lot of ways, there is kind of a content fatigue happening. And so I think if I was giving advice on how to tackle the idea of, you know, we need to get the word out there, we need to 
figure out how we're going to tell this story and how to reach the most pertinent audience. I mean, it starts with authenticity, which is such a lame buzzword at this point, but it's like truly just like finding people who really actually understand your product, who really get it, who like talking about it, who think it's interesting. You know, I think that's where I'd start. And it's about finding like a very authentic or a, a small group of very authentic partners and then making sure not only that those partners, those voices are kind of in the know, have the kind of first seat at the table to learn about your products and your company, but also that their feedback is taken into account very fully um, and that you kind of deal with like the good and the bad of those conversations. I think there's a lot of shying away from let's talk about how our product isn't perfect, but I think actually like when you're looking for authenticity and kind of like a genuine story, talking about how your product has like let people down and how it's like getting better and what you're doing to make improvements is actually such a huge opportunity as part of the conversation that a lot of people walk away from because it's scary to talk about how your product's not like the perfect thing that has been perfect all along. That's that's hard to do. Travis, do you have experience with that sort of how, how do you how do you kind of incorporate sort of vulnerability and authenticity into into the message or into the strategy uh, when it comes to rolling out the message about the company and the products? It's tough, right? Because people can kind of read through it at this point because there's so much of that happening. Fake authenticity? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, right? I mean, I could talk thought leadership in circles of how many conversations we've had, right? Where it's, you know, trying to pull something out of either an individual within a company or, you know, a group of people within a company to say, hey, what's, you know, an original insight that is valuable to your customers that isn't overly salesy, right? But is kind of core to the mission of your organization and why you even started. There's a ton of ways that can go wrong and ends up looking really bad when it's published and put out into the world. So it's it's navigating that. The one thing Sarah said that just like is so true and I think about a lot is like that whole idea of content fatigue, right? So you have to think about things differently when you're you're doing this planning. And one thing I try to do when I, I talk to folks or if we're if I have a new potential client is, you know, I kind of come at it from two angles, right? I'm either we need to be producing something that's original. So whether that's original research that's coming out of product development or, you know, original insights through surveys, um, you know, you need to be putting original things out there to grab attention, right? Because our attention is only shrinking. So you've, you've got to leverage that. Or the other thing is you've got to put a tilt to what you're putting out there, right? So it's a little bit of like what I did with the newsletter with Magnetic was like, there's already tons of traditional ag media, right? That's reporting the news that people want to know. We were just delivering it in a different mechanism that was interesting and that kind of found a little cult following and, and people like that, right? They like the content to be delivered in that format, in that voice. And so there's different paths you can take, but to like make yourselves relevant in the conversation, you need to pick a path. And just sometimes I think either people get caught in the middle, which is kind of right, no man's zone, things probably aren't going to turn out too good and you're going to waste a lot of money on content production. Or, you know, you have to just realize like content is not a short term game. It's a long term game. Like you are building trust and a reputation. And especially when you're doing it behind the facade of like a company and a brand and a logo, you just have to be really intentional about it. And, you know, yes, you hope content can turn to leads, right? In some instances, <laughs> let's not get away from like tying content to revenue. But at the end of the day, you also have to recognize like what is a content strategy and, and why does it matter? And so, I think that's just a really important conversation to have in the front end with a lot of those folks. Yeah. And one thing I, I wrestle with in my roles is, is okay, so if, if we know we want to create something original that's going to be valuable to the audience we're strategically trying to reach, we've kind of got to start by listening, right? We got to understand and empathize with what they're going through, what they need. And that listening piece 
is not intuitive, as intuitive as it should be, I think. You know, you work with companies that are like, well, I really want them to know this. If that doesn't answer a question they're currently asking themselves, it's just going to be part of the, the white noise. And so my only way that I've figured out how to systematically listen is to interview. And that's just kind of what I've decided I'm going to do. We'll go interview these people. We'll figure out what they need. Beyond that, any other sort of like systematic ways to kind of listen and collect the questions that uh, you should answer with your content. Uh, have you guys found anything that works there? I mean, I think in my experience, this comes to kind of like a community of practice situation. Like I think the advice that I give a lot of people who are just starting out with like, you know, I'm interested in content. We're interested in pursuing content as a strategy. Where do we start? Especially for people who are in, like interested in experimentation and want to start small. My first piece of advice is always like, okay, go out and find the people who are already creating content, kind of like the content you want to create and like create some content in conversation with theirs and then send it to them and see if they read it and ask them what they think and like build a relationship there, like a personal relationship with those people, with that community. And, you know, I think actually part of that exercise is also has a humility aspect. I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned in the last, you know, five or so years is, is Tim, a realization you had a long time ago, which is that, you know, I would send things to farmers or people in the industry that I cared about, whose opinions I respected. And they'd basically be like, I just don't read that much. And as a writer, that's kind of a crippling thing to hear. But then they're like, but you know what? I do like spend 40 minutes in my truck every day. Could you send me something that I can listen to instead? And I think podcasts are talk about content fatigue. <laughs> podcasts are not the answer to everything. But to Travis's point, finding the right mechanism to deliver the right information to the right people in a way that they feel like is accessible to them is something, yeah, you can only get, in my experience, through like one-to-one -one touches. So like direct emails, direct messages, direct sharing, saying like, hey, your name is in the subject line of this email. You are not BCC'd. Like, I want you to tell me what you think about this and like, tell me if I'm totally off base. And that is always going to be your most valuable feedback. I love that. And I, I would just add, make sure it's clear that you're, you're not sending it to them because you want them to share it and promote it. You genuinely want their feedback on it. Sometimes I get these emails that are sort of like veiled requests to read something that really are just like, also, can you just push this out to everyone you know as well? It's like, uh, I'm not, not going to do that. <laughs> uh, sorry, Travis, I felt like I interrupted you. You were going to add something? No, I, Sarah put it perfectly. I think it even kind of helps, right, produce maybe some of the first pieces of content for a group that's just tiptoeing into it. So it's like, you know, you, you have someone internally write a piece or you help write a piece or whatever, whoever you're working with. You put it in front of some stakeholder-esque type people and ask for feedback get some information from them that makes the piece stronger, right? And suddenly you're like kind of snowballing it into this really interesting thing. Then of course there is, how do you deliver that, right? Because maybe it isn't a super long blog post because a farmer probably won't read that. Or do you, you break it up into a ton of pieces and make it a, an email drip campaign? You know, who knows? But I'm just saying like, I think it does go back to like, you got to experiment a little bit and you also just like have to be willing to like put stuff out there and not right try to perfect it because you're going to spend so much time perfecting it and then, you know, you've had no feedback in that process and it could be a huge colossal waste of time. So I think it's a very active process of like figuring out what's going to work and what's not going to work. Right. Yeah, that that makes sense to me because, you know, sometimes I will spend way too many hours on one podcast episode and just like 
it doesn't really speak to anything anybody cares about. It's like, look, internet, I made this for you. I spent so much time. And then it's like, but why though? <laughs> we didn't want that. We didn't ask you for that. And, and then other times it's like an off the cuff conversation, kind of like what we're having now. And everybody's like, thank you. I really needed to hear that. It's like, okay, well, you just got to kind of keep attacking from different angles. But I don't think that should mean like, don't put in the effort because it does seem like there is so much surface level crap out there that something that does have, like you were talking about earlier, Travis, that unique insight that really is going to, I think, stand out if, if it answers a, you know, a burning question. And along those lines, I want to ask you, Sarah, about, uh, I know you're part of this AEI presents right podcast, and, uh, you've done a couple different, uh, seasons of this podcast. And certainly what stands out to anyone who's listened is the amount of research that went in the amount of time I know from being a podcast producer that went into that. Can you take us back to kind of share that story of like, that had to be a conscious choice. Like, Hey, we're going to go deeper than most podcasts will go rather than just like showing up and having a conversation kind of walk us through the strategy there. Cause I think that's super interesting. Yeah. The original season in 2020 was called escaping 1980. Basically the guys at AEI came to me and said, you know, we wrote this very extensive piece of content about the 1980s farm crisis, what really happened, what kind of the fate of the farm financial system was at the time. Maybe we could turn it into a book. And I was in the midst of writing my own book and I was like, don't do it. So I was like, what about a podcast? What about a limited run podcast where we basically take like whatever chapters you were thinking of, we just make them episodes and we can do it like an essay. It can feel a bit like a book, but let's do it in an audio version and we'll just have the three of us talking. We actually recorded about 12 hours of raw audio and turned it into eight episodes in an essay format. Part of that was really just I'm nerdy and love a good radio show, love a, a serial or a This American Life. So I was I wanted to try it and these guys were willing to like kind of set me loose on the content. So I dove into putting that together. The narrative was there. They knew the story they wanted to tell. They were experts. So that was great. I just kind of took all their raw material and turned it into this narrative that I think all three of us were kind of, uh, me and the two AEI guys, we're all just kind of like, even if it's a total flop, it'll be fun for us. We really care about this information. We love it. We think it's interesting. We like telling these kind of stories. Even if 10 people listen to it over its whole lifetime, we'll still think it was great, which honestly, I think is kind of one of the most important things when you're tackling content, especially as like a smaller team or an individual, like, listen, you better love it because you're going to do it for a long time and get very little traction. And then one day you'll get a bunch of traction because that's how it goes. But if you don't like it, you're going to really be miserable for a long time. So best to just choose some things that actually get you excited, which this Escaping 1980 was definitely that. So we started putting out the first season and got this huge, very unexpected response of people just being like, oh my gosh, we've never seen ag media like this before. We didn't know that ag stories could be like this. I don't know anything about economics and I feel uncomfortable talking about finance and economics, but like, this is so accessible. Wow, thank you so much, which is not at all what we expected. We thought we were making something so esoteric that no one would want it, which was a huge unlock for us in terms of just, oh, okay. Like, I think we have this idea, which if you look at ag media, you would believe that People need short, simplistic, basic, high level, not in depth. And actually, as it turns out, there is a hunger to know more, to have, you know, I think the story of the 1980s farm crisis is emotional. It's painful. It's kind of messy, but it also has a lot to teach. I think we're in kind of a sweet spot of uncertainty where people were just like, oh man, I wish I just had more information to make me feel less uncertain. And what they didn't need was a 500 word blog post. 
but somehow eight hours of radio content filled that hole for them. So we ended up doing two follow-up seasons. In 2021, we did Corn Saves America about ethanol and carbon markets. And then this year we are just about at the end of Nothing Borrowed, Nothing Gained, which is about the farm financial system. So we've really taken it and run with it as, you know, basically just like we start with ideas that we care about, that we think are interesting, that we want to learn more about. And then we just say, okay, and how do we turn this into the most interesting story we can think of? And yeah, people are still listening and finding value in it. I think we have always come at it with a mind of how do we, which is part of AEI Premium's kind of whole ethos, is how do we make history and economics available to people so that they can make better decisions, which is very ag. Lots of people are trying to help farmers make better decisions, but I appreciate that, you know, the idea here isn't let me tell you how to save $5 an acre on inputs. It's let me talk to you about how your brain works and how you can overcome your biases, how you can think more about like how emotions play into your decision making and how you can root that out if you're interested by using these historical examples. And I think that is kind of a second level of let me help you make good decisions that basically most people are missing that I think there's actually a lot of interest in and appetite for out there. Yeah. And I mean, I, I want to draw attention to the fact that that's that's a really strong premise, right? I mean, and I think that's what whenever I talk to people who want to start creating more content around whatever it is they're doing, they have an idea of maybe a delivery mechanism, but they have no premise. It's like, hey, we're just going to talk about uh, agronomy and uh, we're going to have the agronomy show or newsletter or, you know, whatever account. And it's like, okay, well, let, let's get a little bit deeper, get a premise so that we know like what is unique to your show and what makes a story worth telling on your show versus not. And anything about agronomy is probably not specific enough. And Travis, I know for you, you know, that premise for magnetic is very clearly similar to the hustle or what's the other one? The morning brew. Yeah. Morning brew hustle. Yeah. Yeah. Morning brew and the hustle. It's like, okay, you know, we're not just going to talk about ag, you know, we're going to find stories that we could put in this sort of like unique package. And so when you did that, I know the response has been positive. What are you finding out about the people who are most resonating with that approach? Yeah, that's a really good question. Before I answer that though, the other shout out to Sarah and the AEI guys, my favorite is the Ag Interrupted series and most recently the episode on cheese and the interstate system. So people should check that out. I haven't checked that out. I appreciate the recommendation. It's a good one. It's a really good one. Um, it's the series she didn't mention. So uh, yeah. So, I mean, right with Magnetic, to be honest, I was not strategic from the get-go around who the audience was. Honestly, right, it was one of those situations where the audience was Travis. I thought, man, I, I wish there was like twice or three times a week, something that like gives me a quick download of everything kind of going on across the entire industry. So not even just like within row crop and livestock, but like what's going on in specialty, what's the mag tech funding, you know, just a good overarching view of the industry. And that was partly right because I was working with a bunch of different people and I, it was helpful for me. And then I thought, it's interesting. It's funny. It's different. There's no one doing anything like it in the industry. Why don't I just start to put it out there? Right. So the growth, I honestly didn't do a great job. It's always been very much a side hustle, but like didn't do a great job of fully knowing the audience until we did a reader survey. And it was super interesting just to find out that, you know, if you really split it in thirds, it's like a third are actual producer farmers, a third are what I would call like people working in agribusiness and ag tech. And then a third is kind of this, this makeup of college of ag students, professors, people in DC, USDA, just kind of a mix there. So I think it's one of those things where the, the target audience is not so much like a demographic and that's who we focus on. It's really kind of like a more of a mindset, someone who's interested and also was just looking maybe for some sort of like 
ag media to consume in a, in a different light. So no, I mean, it's been super interesting to learn. And you know, there's tons of lessons I've taken from growing magnetic to apply with clients where it makes sense. Right. And I think, you know, Sarah said this, Tim, you said this, it's like, it's going to depend a lot on who the audience is. And right, you're going to want to tweak what you're doing exactly to those people and how they like to consume information. But yeah, I mean, for me in that journey, <laughs> I can't say I was super strategic in it. It's just, I learned a lot of things along the way while building it. Well, I, I mean, you guys have both emphasized like there's got to be some sort of deep personal motivation. And, and I totally agree with that. I have some clients that come to me and they're like, well, you know, we want to do a podcast and we want to host it. And I'm like, that is my first preference. You guys host it. That's great. We want you to host it. But just know this. If you're doing a weekly podcast and you're going to host it, like it needs to be something you love doing. It needs to be like a top priority. And can you make this a top priority week in, week out? And and most of them, you know, either can't or won't. And it, it just it becomes tough because making content is tough. And I'm sure you all have experienced the same moments I have. And usually for me, it's like midnight the night before a podcast episode supposed to go out where I'm just like, why am I doing this? You know, does this really even matter? Is, is this just going to go out into the the void and, you know, disappear into the ether. And I guess uh, that's a broad question, but in general, you know, how do you answer that question? And you could choose a specific project to answer that question about, or just in general, like, why do you feel like the content is still worth the effort? Yeah, man, talk about relatable. <laughs> I am eternally like editing the 42nd minute of a podcast. Like I'm in my 35th hour of edits and I'm, I have a moment where I'm like drawn up short and I'm just like, oh wait, this is stupid. No one cares about this. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh, I think I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> oh man, has that happened to me? Yeah. So I yes, that is. But everything I've written that I've cared about, every I mean, I've written two books. I've made a lot of podcasts. Everything I do, there is a moment where you're like, oh wait, is this just for me? Does anyone else care about this? Which I think to Travis's point from just just now, like the thing is, like you are a great audience. If you think it's interesting, other people will probably find it interesting. Actually, I see a ton of content get made. It's clear how much the person who made it did not think it was interesting. <laughs> and it's so transparent when things are like half-baked in that way. So I think that's part of it is, is telling myself in those crisis moments that like, listen, I'm having fun. This is good. I'm learning. This is worthwhile. I know a lot about ag. So if I'm still learning things, like that's a good sign. And then so much of it just comes back to what Travis said earlier, which is just, you know, content is inevitably and will foreseeably always be a consistency game. Just ship it. It's fine. There's lots of duplicative content out there. There's lots of content that is, you know, 90% the same as something that already exists. But the 10% that is your opinion, your spin, your take is valuable. And it's fine. If you're going to publish 30 blog posts a year, 10 of them are going to be spectacular and 20 of them are going to be meh. That doesn't mean you shouldn't publish the other 20. You still got to do it. So yeah, I work with the folks at AgTech So What on their podcast, which is phenomenal and everyone should listen. We have a three-star system, but it's basically like everything has to clear a bar, which is good. If it clears the bar, it goes out the door. We want things to do more than clear the bar, ideally, but you don't skip a week unless it does not clear the bar. And the bar should be high, but it should not be impossibly high because, yeah, then you're going to ship one thing a year and no one's going to know that you're part of the conversation at all. So some amount of it's just like turning off the inner critic and saying, like, we're shipping it. That's the end of the story. Goodbye. Love that. I like what you said there, Sarah, about kind of quality versus consistency is like kind of what I'm gathering from that is 
the consistency is important. They're sort of the, the guardrails you have to put on things. But within that, you should just always be striving to improve the quality and, and kind of forgive yourself along the way when maybe it doesn't meet some bar you've put in your head. Is that I mean, is that fair assessment? I mean, like, I want to emphasize, I guess, here, like, don't put out crap. I mean, just because it's not useful and it, and it dilutes your brand and it dilutes that trust, which I think to Travis's earlier point is really important as well. That's what the whole point of content is to build that trust. But yeah, I mean, if you show up at work and you're only at 90% instead of 100%, like, you're not going to get sent home. Your work is still going to be valid for the day. You're going to be fine. <laughs> just because you're not always at 100%, that doesn't discredit your effort. And just like, remember that, I mean, content is our actual job, but I think shipping content especially is like kind of in that work category. It's not necessarily like perfect art that only goes out the door when it's like whole and complete and divine. It's just work. This is the part of the conversation that I can contribute today. Great. Sometimes it's going to be A plus, sometimes it's going to be B minus. And I don't know, it's all worth adding. Yeah. And you ne- you never know when something you think is, is B, B minus. And I certainly have had some B minus episodes this year might resonate with that one person and make a big difference. But, but Travis, what about you? I mean, one thing I was going to say earlier was, you know, with the forcing function piece of it, right? It forces us to put out a newsletter twice a week regardless. And luckily, right, we were just curating news. So it didn't make a dramatic difference on the quality of the content. I mean, we could have maybe digested a piece of news better in a more interesting and engaging way, but it didn't matter. But I was just thinking a little bit around like, you know, when you ship it and when you shouldn't ship it and when you can tell the person behind it isn't even into it kind of a thing. I mean... Now, with client work, there are definitely instances where we maybe start a series and whether it's whatever format it's in, blog or, you know, email drip campaign stuff, it's like you realize really quickly it's not working and like killing it. Like, I think sometimes that's maybe the one thing content folks don't do enough is just stop when things aren't working (laughs) and feeling okay about it. Because, right, it, it does suck to have to go back to leadership and say, this wasn't working. We made a wrong bet. But sometimes you, you need to just be the optimist in the situation and say, we learned what doesn't work. That's actually sometimes just as valuable. And let's not even pursue that path anymore. And now we know, hey, here's plan B and C. Let's maybe spend a little extra time you know, determining between the two what's more important um, and what's going to, again, fulfill the goal. But it is one of those things where as I've started to work with more people, I become a little more confident in saying we shouldn't do that or we should stop it and let's pivot and do something different. Well, is there one piece of content or maybe it's a, it's a collection of content from this past year that uh, that you're really proud of or excited and wish more people would, uh, you know, consume? Oh, I mean, I did publish a book this year called Big Team Farms, a follow on to Farm and Other Efforts, which I published last year. It was really exciting for me to put it out. Publishing two books in two years was exhausting and I was very tired after. But um Yeah, I mean, if there's one thing that I have ended up talking about the most that I didn't expect, so the AEI season we did this year, Nothing Borrowed, Nothing Gained, is about ag finance, which is a, you know, just hearing those words is not interesting. Ag finance, just like we talked about it in January for the first time this year, and I was like, oh man, that's going to be tough to make accessible and interesting, but You know, I think especially with the state of the financial markets right now, especially with, you know, just the way that people are thinking about the eternal question of what is the state of the farm economy? What is the debt to asset ratio really telling us? You know, how can people be affording these record high land prices all the time? I think those are questions that kind of get answered in a very simplistic way. 
And the fun thing that we did on our podcast season this year was tackle them really in depth. And I don't know, it's kept me awake at night a couple times thinking about like, oh God, there's a lot of risks. In the year of our Lord 2022, we've talked a lot about climate risk and that there's been a huge focus on that, I think, across agriculture and beyond. But man, there's a lot of financial risk out there that I think people are not talking or thinking about. And it was fascinating, if not a bit anxiety inducing to go into that as part of our nothing bar, nothing gain season. So if you also would like to have anxiety about the farm financial system, maybe check out the podcast. You are really selling it here. Just what I need more anxiety in my life. <laughs> what about you, Travis? Well, I'll say this much, you know, a lot of my work today, if it's not related to the newsletter itself is, you know, mostly for clients and I don't speak on behalf of them, but I'd say a general theme that I'm excited for, I think, and maybe it's me preaching it enough in meetings with people that like back to the content fatigue thing is like really pushing some of my clients to think differently around what we're going to produce in 23. You know, some of it is like back to the kind of our initial conversation around like pulling more original insights out of them, whether it's through surveys or again, actual the product teams and things like that, to even like getting people to think differently around how we produce it, right? And and me challenging myself, you know, I have a team that's mostly writers and editors to say, you know, maybe we should consider a podcast with this certain group, you know, maybe I need to be reaching out to folks like Sarah and Tim, because that's not my forte, and I'm not going to act like it is. But like, to get a full round out content strategy, right? That's, that's more than just keeping a blog up. So I think for me, if people are willing to commit to it, I get really excited about it because I think it opens the doors. And especially, you know, if you've got leadership in an organization where they can like, you know, you kind of tell them like, this is why this matters. And this is how this helps you in the long run. And they can get behind it. It can make for some really, you know, exciting deliverables and outputs. And I think it it does make waves for companies when they do it right. So I'm excited for that. I feel like the other big piece of advice that I've been really preaching this year is just around something that I actually learned doing video production indirectly, which is that, you know, which is more interesting to look at when you're watching a video, like the picture of a building or a video of people. And obviously people like humans are attracted to humans. We only really care about humans looking at buildings, logos, companies, actually not very interesting, not compelling. We don't believe that they are dimensional or emotional or like empathetic to us. And so I think I am excited about a very feeble trend at this point, but I believe that it will grow of your brand can have a voice and your brand can create content and that's fine. And some brands do it very well and some brands have had a lot of success doing it. But I think in general, like people understand that you're behind your brand is people, interesting people who have interesting takes. And maybe some of them are dissenting voices within your organization. Maybe some of them have, you know, experiences you wouldn't expect. And brands that are able to say, we are secure in our brand and our company and our message to be able to highlight our humans and say that like these people maybe don't speak for us all the time, but like we thought that this thing that they said is really interesting and we're going to highlight that there's people behind these brands and they are the owners and creators of our story. It's not just the CEO. It's our leadership team. It's a more diverse group of people and they create content and we are part of like a community that talks and creates content together. And sometimes we do it as a group and sometimes we do it as individuals. And I think that's, I don't know, I think that's way more interesting in terms of consuming the content. And I think there's more success to be had. I mean, especially if one of the outcomes of your content is like, yeah, we want to be invited to speak on panels at conferences. We want to be seen as thought leaders. We want to be able to add kind of this dimension to our board, our, you know, our team. I think that's really valuable instead of saying, you know, everything that we create has to come from the company social media accounts. And we have this very kind of stale 
voice and it's corporate and buttoned up and that's who we are, I guess. Oh man, that was so awesome. Yes, to everything you just said. And too often they're like, oh, okay, we'll do that. We will put out thought leadership pieces from our CEO. Not what she's talking about, right? Not what she's talking about at all. Like you can be real people on behalf of the company. I, how do I put this? <laughs> There's a very popular farm equipment manufacturer that uh, has a lot of employees that listen to my podcast and they're constantly saying like, you should have this person from our company. You should have this person. And I'm always stonewalled by the same agency individual that seems to not want anyone from their company to say anything on a podcast. And I'm just like, that's fine. I won't go into details of who that is. You could draw your own conclusions, but like, I'm just like flabbergasted that more people aren't using exactly this. And granted, not everybody in your company wants to be the voice, right? Or wants to be featured, but there are people that would be really, really interesting to talk about. And they don't have to give corporate key messages. They could just talk about their lives and, and what they're dealing with and resonate on a personal level. I love everything you said, and I'm just regurgitating exactly what you said right there, Sarah, but it's fantastic. I, I wish we'd see more of that. I'm only going to regurgitate a little more because it is such a great point. Just this fact of like, we won't go back to that authenticity point, right? And not that a CEO can't come off as authentic, right? And have good thought leadership. But man, is it cool when like a product manager pumps something out because he's been working on something for like five years and he has all this stuff in his head and he just throws it on paper. And yeah, maybe someone has to help him craft it, right? And, and make it like really engaging. But like that thing will go pretty darn far if it's super cool. And in the niche that whatever that group is in, I mean, that's the stuff that really gets the wheels moving and, and makes a lot of traction. So, yeah, yeah, totally. And along similar lines, even if your product is great at ROI and great at boosting yield or whatever the case may be, that, that's cool. But like you can talk about other things as well, right? <laughs> you definitely want to make it clear, like, here's the value proposition, but you can also resonate on other levels, you know, because, uh, especially when you're targeting farmers. So farming is a little bit weird because it's kind of B2B, kind of B2C. I don't know how you guys think about that with, with your clients, but like it is an individual ultimately making those choices. And I think the content could do a little bit better job to reflect them. I know mine can. I'm very business oriented. I tend to like default to business talk, but I think uh, incorporating more kind of human, human emotional connection. I think there's a lot of room for that to cut through the noise. One of the big questions I came in here with is like, okay, there's just, so much out there. Like I am inundated. And in, in 2022, I finally like got on Instagram. I'm like, whoa, this this is too much. I can't handle all this. You know, uh, I don't even know how to use it. But um, the question is like, how do we kind of cut through that noise with messages that matter? And I think we just hit on a key unlock there in connecting on the human level. And then also you both have talked about more original insights, deep research, anything else we're not getting to though, of like how does an individual or a brand in an authentic way, kind of really find an audience out there in, in the ocean that is content. Original insights, I think is huge. The like authenticity, vulnerability, and just like, I think this is something, Tim, I think we talked about the last time I was on the podcast, but you know, specificity, don't be generic. Don't be general. Don't try and reach everyone all at once. You're gonna miss everyone by doing that just make it really specific. It's fine. And like, I think specificity is often the unlock to being really interested in it. So like be specific, be like, I don't know, just because you're a brand and you sell a product and you want to move it doesn't mean you have to talk about the whole thing all the time. You know, I, I think maybe the word we've been dancing around a little bit talking about content and content fatigue, it's just like competitive advantage. What can you say that no one else can say or can say the way that you can say it? 
If you're not saying that thing, the thing that you can say better or different than anyone else, then just think about whether you should be creating that content at all. Because it's probably a waste of money, frankly. So yeah, I think that specificity piece is often lost in this space. One thing that makes me think of too, is like back to your example, Tim, around agronomy. It was super interesting to me to think about like, an agronomy newsletter isn't probably going to go very far. But if you tell me it's an agronomy newsletter for Southern Indiana with these specific clay type soils, you know, and all of a sudden you're going to capture the attention of everyone in Southern Indiana, those farmers who are dealing with some of those issues. So, I mean, it is one of those things where, right, if you can't do it differently enough or like, you know, the distribution or the format, and that's not going to be different, like to your point, get granular, focus in on specific areas, there's a bunch of ways to kind of like block and tackle your way into building an audience. You just got to like do more than right. Just putting out what's already out there and and you can build an audience that way. You just got to be a little strategic about it. Okay. Yeah. That hits on one of two things I still want to get to before we run out of time. We're getting close here. Uh, and that's distribution. I think it is something that not enough people think about when they think about content, they think, okay, here's what I want to talk about. Or if it's a podcast, here's who I want to interview but they don't think about like, how do I build the distribution? I would say that's something that has gotten harder. When I started the podcast in 2016, it was much easier to get people to subscribe to the podcast because they weren't listening to other ag podcasts, generally speaking. Now, as Sarah mentioned, they've got 50 options. So how do you all think about or help clients with distribution and think about like, how are we actually gonna get this out there? One thing I have found that I think, right, works the best at the end of the day, and it's impossible to measure and not a great metric, but it's word of mouth, right? So this maybe goes back to the conversation we just had around making sure whatever you're producing is super narrowed in on a, a target audience and making sure it's valuable to those people. Because because of that, there's just going to be, an, hopefully, right, some natural virality within that community, even if that community isn't very big because they'll share it, right? And that's a little bit what happened for me, luckily with Magnetic, where, I mean, I had a network, so that helped get it to, you know, the first 500 folks or something. But beyond that, it was like, oh, hey, this is different. And if you like, a, you know, all-encompassing view at a high level, it gives you quick hits um, and it's kind of pithy, like you should check it out. And that worked, right? And suddenly people were just sharing it, forwarding in the inbox, and, and that was helpful. At the end of the day, like just producing really good content, really focused on the audience is I, I think your best strategy. There's other right growth hacks and tactics and you can do that. But I'd say you get the first part right, that's going to get you 80% of the way there. And then those like growth hacks and tactics are, you know, those are just little things that can help you maybe get another five, 10%. So I think it does go back to just producing really good content, if I'm honest. Yeah, I would agree with that overwhelmingly. It's just like the quality and the, right, the iteration throughout the production process, the creation process. Like if the first time anyone hears that you're writing a newsletter or writing blogs or publishing a podcast is the day it comes out, you've made a terrible mistake. People should know long before your first thing goes out the door that like this is happening, you know, key stakeholders have read drafts or had a preview listen or, you know, it's, it's known and there's some buzz, hopefully, which another gross buzzword, ironically, but that comes back to just somebody's got to really care about it. Somebody on your team has got to be not just like I'm assigned to this and I have to be the person who like writes the social posts or whatever. It has to be someone who's like, I loved doing this. I was part of the production process. I think it's super interesting. I'm very proud that we're putting it out and I'm going to monitor these and have conversations with people and respond to emails when people write in to say like, I really enjoyed it, or I thought it was crap. And someone has to own it and engage the content throughout its life cycle, I would say, because that engagement 
kind of two-way engagement in the early part of the life of the content is what makes it last. Not all content is really evergreen. Like evergreen content is content that continues to live beyond, you know, the two weeks after you publish it. And how I think one of the key ways that people drop the ball in their evergreen content is they just put it out and then abandon it. It's not going to live if you abandon it. Somebody's got to be out there engaging in the conversation, reinserting it, re-upping it, making sure it stays relevant. And it takes some effort for sure. And there's some cost, but man, you should be spending, frankly, which is a very unpopular thing to say in client meetings, you should be spending some money on content. It should be good and original. It should be high quality or it's a waste of money. And if you're going to invest in great content, then you should invest in making sure it gets to your audience as well. All right. Well, that is probably a great place to end. Thank you so much to Sarah Mock and Travis Martin uh, for taking the time to be on the show and do this interview. I've been at this stuff a while and I learned quite a bit from these two and really found myself taking notes and will be thinking about a lot of the points they made. If you're interested in this stuff, I just actually read a really good book on kind of the current state of cutting through the noise when it comes to content marketing. And that book is called Snow Leopard. It's by, I think, uh, Content Pirates is what they call themselves. And really, I have a, a podcast listener to thank for that. And that's Spencer Stensrud over at Ag Ventures Alliance. Thank you, Spencer, for that recommendation. So if you're interested in this stuff, especially what Travis was saying about finding a unique insight and and they talk a lot about creating a category around that unique insight with an audience anyway i think it's really interesting stuff i i recommend that book if you want further reading i know i'm messing with some different formats we had the ag tech so what podcast uh crossover a couple weeks ago got some really good feedback from you on that you know i know this one's a little bit different from our normal content but it was super valuable to me and i thought maybe some of you might be wrestling with some of these same issues so anyway hope it was thank you so much for listening thank you to acres uh, acres.co for sponsoring this quarter of the podcast and i'll leave a bunch of links in the show notes for travis and for sarah and for some of their projects uh, because i really think they're doing tremendous work. I have a question for you. Who do you think is really doing a great job at providing valuable content out there in the ag industry? I'm really curious. I'm always looking for places that I can go to to learn from and get better at this craft, for lack of a better term. Anyway, I'd love to hear that either via Twitter at Tim Hamrich or email Tim at aggrad.com. Thank you so much for your time and your attention. I don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Thank you.